Hello and welcome to the fourth and latest installment of Connected Investor, the podcast from the Brunner Investment Trust. I'm Joe Lynham, BBC presenter and former business correspondent of many years. We have not one but two guests with us, Matthew Tillett, the lead portfolio manager of the Brunner Investment Trust, and a debut for Marcus morris Iton. Apart from being a portfolio manager, Marcus is also a director at Allianz Global Investors. And not to blow his trumpet too much, in 2015, he was named in the top 40, under 40 rising stars in asset management by the respected website of Financial News. Uh, Marcus, are you still under 40 or are you still a star? I'm still under 40, but sadly not a star, according to Financial News. You're making us all feel very old here, still under 40 and a, a star. Uh, I'm as speaking as a fading star myself. Anyway, remember, this podcast is to help provide insightful, relevant and hopefully entertaining analysis on the big issues that affect the Brunner Investment Trust. The Connected Investor podcast is hopefully going to be the indispensable inside track on what's driving the Brunner Investment Trust and the wider markets. Today, we're going to focus on the perennial debate of value versus growth investing. And we will be digging deep on that. But before we do that, we have to address the elephant in the room, the massive uh, US election result, and the fact that Joe Biden has achieved the goal of at least 270 electoral college votes, meaning that there will probably be a new person in the White House at the end of January 2021. Uh, Matthew and Marcus, I'm going to ask you both pretty much the same question. Matthew, first, will this change anything for the market? And what do you think will change? To be honest, Joe, I, I don't think it it actually has that big uh, um, um, implications for stock markets. Um, and the real reason for that is because it's looking like um, very likely that um, the, 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 the Republic will keep control of the Senate. Um, and if you look at the, the some of the big uh, policy issues uh, in the US that, that could move markets, you've got things like regulation or the breakup of big tech, uh, the energy policy, the, 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 the big uh, Green New Deal that the Democrats uh, wanted to, to go ahead with, uh, and also the, the, um, the, the issue around healthcare reform. Any moves on, on those, uh, those um, big issues would be much easier to do if the Democrats had control, control of the Senate. Um, and the Republicans, you know, they've actually done quite well in this election. You know, you know they lost the presidency, but but elsewhere they've they've performed better than expectations. And so I, I expect this Senate will continue to be very difficult for the president um, because, you know, they just, they just don't really have any reason you know, not to be. Um, because it, it, it seems to be playing well uh, with, with the electorate. Interestingly enough, uh, Marcus, I'll come to you in a second. Um, interestingly enough, there's... Uh, still two more senatorial seats to be decided. Both of them will be in the state of Georgia, which has been the kind of hanging chad of the 2020 uh, election. Marcus, do you want to add to any of that? Well, I think I think Matthew's, Matthew's hit all the right points there. The, the, the result that we are unlikely to see um, means that you probably won't see any of the big tectonic shifts that many people were expecting prior to that. Um, so that, as, as Matthew said, that means the probability of a breakup in tech um, or big shifts in terms of corporate tax rates is probably off the agenda. What I think is clear is we will see a big stimulus program um, and that will have happened regardless of, of who was in office. Um, but clearly the balance of that stimulus will, will be tilted towards the president. Um, so under Biden, we expect to see perhaps a more of a green, um, a green agenda. Um, and that's certainly something that plays into many of the companies that we that we look at look at and invest in in, in the Brunner Investment Trust. 
the one area where the president does have quite a lot of direct influence is foreign policy. Um, and it's probably quite likely that Biden will take a, a, a more constructive um, approach uh, than, than, um, than Trump did, uh, certainly in areas like uh, trade uh, and tariffs. Uh, which uh, could could be a positive, certainly for some of the some of the the larger multinational businesses um, that, that we own in the trust. I think the big the bigger issue and, and one that most investors are most focused on at the moment is probably the direction of COVID, um, and COVID is having a far bigger impact uh, on society um, in terms of the way we live and work, but also accelerating that disruptive trend, um, and so that probably more so than, than the election. Um, in the short term, is is really shaping the direction markets are heading in. Do you think, gentlemen, that the uh, split uh, control of the levers of power, i.e. the White House in Democratic control and potentially uh, the Senate in Republican control, means that the Fed, the Federal Reserve, will play a, an outsized role in the recovery from COVID-19? I view the Fed's going to have a big role, uh, whatever happens, um, and I, I I think we'll get more and more stimulus um, on the monetary side. Uh, would would happen um, whatever we get on the fiscal side. Um, I think I think in the shorter term, you're right though. It may they may they may have to step up a bit more if, if it proves difficult for the the president and um, you know the House and the Senate to agree on a larger stimulus package, which was certainly looking you know it's looking like it was being difficult for them to agree before the election um so that may that may be the case but i think i think you're going to need both fiscal and monetary to really drive a drive a strong recovery uh from 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 the uh, the covid recession okay we'll move on to value versus growth stocks very shortly uh, let's have a wider look at how the markets have behaved over the last few months uh matthew i'll come to you marcus in a moment um how would you say they perform? The S&P 500, for example, went up 300 points in August, then sank 300 in September, then rose 300 in October, and then sank again by another couple of hundred. What's happening? Yeah, obviously, a lot, a lot of volatility, uh, both in absolute terms, um, as, you, as you highlight, um, uh, but also uh, actually in relative terms as well. So, you know, within the market, um, which which uh, links um, to, to you know what we're going to talk about later with um, on the, the the value versus growth debate, um, and really uh, you know a lot of it's been just driven around around the news flow that we're that we see on, on think, issues like the stimulus, uh, and more importantly the virus uh, and the course that the virus has been taking, um, where the big change since we last spoke, Joe, has been you know clearly the resurgence in cases, uh, particularly in Europe and in the US, and unfortunately more recently deaths as well. Uh, which has led to you know re- the reimposing of um, restrictive policies, uh, and that has certainly made a, a, a quick cyclical recovery uh, less likely. Um, but it's but it's also important to remember that these lockdowns that we're seeing now are not as they're not the same as they were back in March. Uh, they're not severe. Much more of the economy is staying open. Uh, and also, a lot of the economy has learned to adapt and, and live with it as well. Uh, it's only it's only the, the sectors like you know hospitality and retail that that, that really can't live with it. Um, so, I, so I think the volatility you're seeing is really is really as the market tries to kind of um, 
you know digest um you know that you know these these changes and the and the direction um that things are likely to go on from here i mean from our perspective in 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 the in the portfolio i mean we we continue to manage the portfolio on a on a longer term view um and we we on the basis that the virus will eventually be brought under control uh one way or another most likely through a vaccine um, but maybe through other methods as well improved treatments um, and that, and that the world returns to some semblance of normality, and it's that normality that we we need to understand. You know what what, what does that world look like, um, and make sure that we're you know you know we're well positioned for that in the portfolio. Okay, well let's move now to our uh, subject today, which is value versus growth stocks. Can I bring you in, Marcus, to explain what is the difference between a value stock and a growth stock, and what, how is it important for what we're doing with the Brunner Investment Trust? Good question, Joe. And it's, it's something we're asked far too frequently um, because, dare I say it, growth and, growth and value are two very broad terms uh, that many people are keen to label investors as. Um, and in my view, actually, they're probably not quite as distinct as many people believe. Um, and I think that's a view that, that Warren Buffett subscribes to himself, where he describes the two styles as joined at the hip. Um, but in terms of what they're perceived to be, at least, Growth is is certainly perceived to be investing in companies that are growing and have the growth potential to grow in excess of the market in terms of their revenues, earnings and, and cash flows. Um, whereas value, value investors are typically trying to invest in undervalued companies um, where the market price doesn't reflect the intrinsic value of, of that company itself. Where, where I differ from many people is actually in that calculation of intrinsic value um, because myself as a growth investor and Matthew as a value investor will both be paying attention to the, the growth prospects of that business in order to achieve and derive a fair valuation for that business. Um, so I believe they go very much, very much hand in hand um, and really shouldn't be as separated as many people believe. In terms of growth stocks, uh, Marcus, um, one of the one of the usual definitions is that growth stock has some sort of competitive advantage, probably intellectual property, some sort of IP. Um, would you sh- would you share that view? And, and can you be a growth stock without some sort of USP? It's, it's difficult, um, and and as you're right, I think that there are different timeframes in terms of growth investing. Um, I myself am very much in the long term growth investors camp, and in order to achieve that, you're right. You generally do need some sustainable competitive advantage and the sustainability there is the key um, because inevitably when you're delivering high growth at attractive returns competition will come and you need to be able to defend yourself from that competition um, so that's certainly something we, we look out for the sustainability of the growth um, and the barriers to, en- to, en- to entry in, in, in place there do you think that you can be a growth stock and pay dividends because a lot of investors out there look for the regular flow of divi coming in every quarter or whatever it is uh, for their income but growth stocks of course hope to zoom faster without paying those dividends can you have both you, you can i think it's it's there slightly dependent on your tolerance for growth um and so you'll rarely find many of the the hyper growth uh, particularly many of the younger newer more newer business models um paying 
paying large dividends. Um, but actually, as a business model matures, that growth might might dilute slightly, but still be attractive relative to the rest of the market. Um, and very often there, you'll see a, bl- a blend in capital allocation. Uh, many companies will be reinvesting a portion of, of their growth back into the business. Uh, some will will put that cash to work uh, through M&A. That's mergers and acquisitions. And then ultimately, the, the leftovers will be handed back to investors in either the form of dividends or, or share buybacks. And I think that's a prudent approach um, that certainly fits how we invest for companies in the, in the Brunner Trust. I was, just, I was just going to add something to that, which is um, the, the importance of quality. Quality for us is an investment term uh, that we use to describe the, uh, the, the, the most important characteristics uh, of, of a business model. Um, and why quality is is such an important uh, factor when we when we when we're picking stocks for the for the portfolio, um, because it's the higher quality companies are the ones where where you can actually have you can have growth and pay a dividend. And the reason for that is because high quality companies they the, by definition um, they generate you know high returns on on the capital that that they have invested in their business, which means that you know they don't have to invest as much as other businesses back into their companies in order to drive in order to drive the growth so every year you you have a certain amount of cash flow that the business throws off you can invest some of it back in the business to grow but you've got some left over as well which can be returned as returned as dividends um, and that, that's sort of quite quite an important point um, you don't tend to with lower quality companies you, you don't tend to see that because because their returns are lower they you know they have to invest much more into their business just to stand still Absolutely. And I think one other, one other point that's important to emphasize here, particularly in the quality growth camp, is really the power of compounding. And I think that's something that many investors, particularly shorter term investors, don't necessarily pay enough attention to. You'll have to you'll have to educate me about the power of compounding. Is that something to do, is that something to do with making bread? It's less, less complex than it sounds, Joe, because I can get my head around it. Um, but essentially, if, if you find a company that can, can generate 15% earnings growth per annum for five years, uh, and the multiple of that valuation, multiple of that business stays constant, all else being equal, the share price should double. Um, and again, there are very few companies that can do that. But if you can find those companies that can sustainably grow their earnings and cash flows at that level, it's incredibly powerful in terms of the return drivers possible. Okay, how does that fit? How does growth investing fit in uh, for Brunner Investment Trust? What kind of stocks do you um, believe in or look at? I think one of the beauties of Brunner is is really it's a blend of the two. Um, And so we have high growth companies in Brunner several of which are trading on relatively rich valuation multiples. And that's blended nicely um, with some slightly lower growth, uh, but, but cheaper cheaper companies that have probably more upside in, this, in, in the event of a cyclical upswing. Um, so it creates a, a really nice balanced, balanced portfolio that will hopefully enable us to outperform in most market environments without being particularly skewed to one style uh, or one economic backdrop. Okay, Matthew, can I bring you back in uh, as a value investor? Is a value investor someone who simply finds a diamond in the rough, or is that way too simplistic? I, th- I think that that is a bit simplistic, actually, Joe. And I'd I'd, I'd probably sort of um, go, you know, almost go back to you know what what Marcus said actually, because you know, I mean, it's you know, whilst I got into the industry, you know, through the you know the value investing uh, route, that was kind of you know kind of what sparked my interest in in, in uh, in the investment industry, you know, I, I'm, I'm also very much interested in growth and, you know, it, it, you become, 
once you educate yourself on the drivers of, of value, you very quickly discover that, that you know, that, that, you know, as Marcus said, value and growth are joined at the hip. Um, so I, I don't actually see myself as you know, being that kind of different to, you know, to, to Marcus. It's almost as though we, so we just sort of have a slightly different areas of expertise. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm more comfortable, you know, looking at, you know, pay maybe more mature, perhaps more cyclical businesses, um, you know, yeah, and, and to be fair, lower growth businesses as well. But I'm still just as focused on on quality, um, uh, and 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 you know, making sure I understand you know those um, the, the the quality dynamics and the and the and the the risks to to the businesses that that we're investing in. Um, so I I would say that we you know, we are basically trying to do the same thing, which is um, find mispriced shares. Uh, and you know the the only sense in which it's diamond in the rough is is that value investors are more likely to be looking you know in the rough in the in to the extent that the rough is you know out of favour um, you know less popular parts of the market. Um, but, but as I say, you know we're, we're we're basically trying to do the same thing. I think every investor, whether value or growth, would love to find that diamond in the rough. Um, as a growth investor, unfortunately, as Matthew said, we're we're rarely looking in the rough. Um, so our starting valuation multiples are, are often are often slightly higher. Um, and as Warren Buffett said, I'd, I'd rather pay a fair valuation for a good company um, than a good, a good valuation for a fair company. We're in the middle of an economic downturn by any measure, and it's potentially going to be far worse than the financial crisis in terms of impact. Doesn't that mean that there will be a lot more value stocks out there? Because a lot of them have been sold off radically over the last six to nine months uh, and might be ultra cheap. Um, th- th- there's an element of truth in that. Um, if, if you look at if you look at what's happened um, this year, you have seen a, 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 a pretty huge divergence between the performance of um, some parts of the market and other parts of the market. I think we talked about this in in you know the previous podcasts. Um, but it's not it's not as universal as you you think. Actually, you know, a, a lot you know quite a lot of the areas of the market have actually held up very well, um, and in some some cases. Or even or even at all time highs, and they tend to be the areas, um, you know, sectors like technology or healthcare um, that haven't really been that impacted uh, by the by the downturn, and in some cases have, have even benefited from it. Um, but you're right there there are there are other areas. You know, you, typically the more cyclical areas, um, parts of travel and leisure, you know, aerospace, uh, those those sorts of sectors that have been unable to avoid the impact of. COVID and the and the COVID containment measures, um, and that's where you do see some really depressed valuations. And we we are active in in that area. Are you looking to to invest in in that area, given that yeah. they've been absolutely hammered? We are we are, but but we are still just as focused on quality as 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 we are everywhere else. So we're not just going to buy a whole load of cheap cyclicals um, just because they're just because they're cheap. You know, we want to find you know those companies that we that we're not only be confident they they'll they'll recover but but we're also confident that when they've when they have recovered they'll be able to grow um you know they'll be able to you'll be able to grow in the years that follow the recovery uh and that they've also got that kind of quality um dynamic that that we're looking for i think covid's made it quite an interesting time to be a stock picker um because you're seeing a much wider divergence than normal um between the winners and losers in certain sectors um and undoubtedly some of that is probably structural, um, and COVID has accelerated many trends of which digitalization is, is one, um, and that will accelerate the demise of certain businesses. But as Matthew said, there are also companies that are being punished 
as though they are structurally challenged, when in fact it may actually be purely cyclical factors, uh, many of which have been driven by COVID, that are depressing their earnings and subsequent valuation in the short term. So I said, I think it's a really exciting time. Um, and actually, I think we'll probably look back on, on where we are now in a, in a few years um, and recognise there, there are many more efficiencies in the current market than, than there are at most periods of the cycle. Is that because it's weeding out zombie companies, Marcus? Um, zombie companies that might have limped on after the financial crisis because interest rates stayed so low? I think absolutely. I think there's, there's certainly certainly an element of that, although <laughs> government support has probably helped many of these companies that were zombie-like and are now even more zombie-like um, stay alive. But what you are seeing is, is for the best position companies, this is the opportunity of a lifetime to be able to take market share. Um, and as we discussed earlier, it's it's many of those digitally enabled business models. Um, well, when, if, when, when many of their competitors were fighting to stay alive, they were able to launch new products, go directly to their customers um, and take and take market share. And they've been rewarded for the, by the market for that. Matthew, when you're looking at a value stock. Uh, what kind of empirical benchmarks are you looking for? I mean, the obvious ones that come to mind, and I'd be interested to see whether you you look at them, price to earnings ratio, price to book ratio, or earnings per share. Are, are they things that really figure highly in your analysis? And I know it's not simplistic. It's, not, it's too simplistic to just have empirical benchmarks. Uh, to be honest, Joe, it, it really depends um, a lot on the, the company that, and the sector that it's in and the, the business model itself. Um, so you take price to book, for example, um, that's a metric that I think quite a lot of value investors have got into trouble with over the years um, because it's, if, I mean, book value is increasingly less relevant actually in, in, in the modern kind of 21st century um, global economy because if you think about what book value is it's really just an accounting um, uh, term that describes you know you know the the, the sum of all the cap capital expenditures that have gone into a business uh, and, and when so much value is is sits in intangible assets uh, in in large parts of the economy and the stock market it doesn't appear on the balance sheet um, and so relying on price to book is um, you know, it, it's not going to help you that much. Uh, there are some sectors where where it might be an indicator, um, such as you know in the bank sector, you know, or, or house building, you know, where you do have uh, hard assets that you can um, that you can actually you can actually look at. Um, so you know, PE that's price to earnings is generally a, a more a more um, reliable measure that you can use across sectors. Uh, but what I would say about both of them is is you know really what we're looking at is is, is you know free cash flow. Um, that, that, that those measures are ultimately uh, PE and price to book are just proxies um, that are taken from you know, the accounting measures. And what we're looking for is the is the you know, the real economic value of a business, uh, and that comes from uh, really from 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 cash flow. Uh, and so we need to we need to get under the surface and, and really really know what what the what the cash flows are of the of the businesses that we're investing in. What's clear is valuation is very much an art rather than a science. Um, and there's no one right valuation metric or, or valuation measure. Um, so it's important to have a blend of measures and metrics dependent on the growth prospects and competitive environment that that particular business, business is trading in. Um, so we've got com some companies in the portfolio that might be trading on PE multiples near 50, but where actually the growth prospects, the visibility we have in that growth and the competitive environment is such 
And actually, I'd argue there's far more valuation upside than there are for other stocks that might be trading on single single digit PEs, where you have far more questions on the competitive environment um, and they're far more cyclically cyclically vulnerable. So as I said, I think it's it, there's no right answer, um, but you're always comparing the valuation relative to what else, else is out there in, in the market and ultimately in your portfolio. Let's look at how value versus growth or value and growth uh, is reflected in what you've actually invested in for the Brunner Investment Trust. Um, Matthew, how well positioned is Brunner in this space? So, so if we take the portfolio uh, and, and look at the portfolio quantitatively, uh, what, what we'll see is that it scores very positively on quality. Uh, so that's um, what we talked about earlier. So that's things like return on invested capital, profitability, uh, and balance sheet strength. And that's exactly what you'd expect to see, given that that's the key aspect of the investment philosophy that we're following. Um, We also score um, positively on growth as well, um, but less so than quality. Um, And then if you look at the value metrics, we're we're pretty neutral on on value. So on some of the value metrics, we're positive and and on some of them, we're negative. And that really reflects yeah, what what we're what we're trying to do. You know, we're looking across the whole market. We're looking at all sectors, uh, and we do have a you know we 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 have a more balanced approach um, uh, than 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 um, than certainly s- s- some of the more kind of stylistically uh, focused funds out there. Marcus, are you happy with that, or do you want to chime in? Um, neutral on value is what I heard, which I thought was interesting. Give us an example of some of the sectors that you're in, Matthew, that the Brunner Investment Trust is in and uh, why you're interested in them. Yeah, so, so I mean, maybe one sector that sort of illustrates what we've been talking about nicely would be the, the banks um, sector, um, which is not a sector that, that we have um, typically had much exposure to. You know, there are quality issues within the bank sector. Uh, you know, the returns have been under pressure for a long time um, due to low interest rates. Uh, and you know, still some of the legacy issues that the sector um, was dealing with since the financial crisis. Um, but because of that, the, the whole sector is, has been under a bit of a cloud, and valuations are, are pretty low across the whole sector. Um, but there, but there are good banks and there are bad banks, and there are there are some banks that actually we we think are are, uh, are quite well positioned. Um, you know, one example um, of that which we hold uh, would be UBS. Um, which is interesting because it's it's both a traditional bank, uh, but it also has um, a, a very large wealth management business, uh, which is uh, which we like. You know, that's that's asset. It's an asset light business, uh, makes very high returns, uh, and it's been been growing growing strongly over over many years. Um, and we think we we think we're getting that that business on a very attractive valuation. Um, partly because the company is seen in the eyes of the market as as being a bank. And on that positive note, I think we will bring this podcast to a close. Uh, Matthew Tillett and Marcus Morris-Eiton, thank you very much uh, for joining us for this uh, episode of Connected Investor. And thank you out there for listening. By the time you listen to this, it will be getting closer to the end of 2020. A lot of us will be glad to see the back of it, though there will always be winners from every crisis. We value your views, so please do get in touch. You can contact us via the website at www.brunner.co.uk. From me, Joe Lynham, and all the team that helped produce this uh, at Allianz and Brunner, goodbye.